0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today's conversation is about Toronto's suburbs, how they've grown over the years the big issues they face, and how they need to adapt to shifting demographic trends and to changes in the overall marketplace. To learn more, I'm joined by Sean Hurdle, former senior development planner with the region of York and currently an urban planning consultant and lecturer at Ryerson University and the University of Waterloo. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. So when I was preparing for this interview, I, I started thinking a little bit about Don Mills, uh, you know, that famous master plan. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Of the, <laughs> the mid 1950s. Yeah. Often referred to as Canada's first planned community. Mm-hmm. And it was a model suburban community and influenced the way many of our suburbs were built, particularly for its curvy roads, central schools, and nearby parks. But over time, many aspects of that model became a symbol of a lot of things that are wrong with the suburbs, like urban sprawl, high infrastructure costs, congestion, environmental impacts, and the heavy reliance on the automobile. And now more recently, there is an increasing desire to live near the city core, to be in dense, walkable, mixed-use urban environments. Nevertheless, the suburbs are here to stay as they continue to occupy an enormous swath across the the urban region. So with all that, I'm wondering, is the appeal of the suburbs the same as it's always been? For its large-sized homes to raise a family, you know, with the two-car garages and backyards, its proximity to schools and parks, or are people moving and living there because the urban core is just too expensive, hence the expression, drive until you qualify? Or is it a combination of both?
1: I guess the answer is yes, <laughs> it's a combination of both. Great questions. Um, a, a literary uh, gem in our city, uh, John Lawrence, who writes a lot about suburbs in his book about uh, 15 years ago, The New City, uh, famously quipped that uh, suburbanization or suburban flight, as he said, in Canada, is a, unlike the United States, is a round-trip ticket. Is a uh, Is a round trip, trip ticket. He said, you know, you grow up in the inner city, you go to the suburbs to raise your family, but when you're older or have the means, you come back. Whereas in the United States usually get the hell out of the, the city core. That's been the, the sort of the traditional story of white flight. If you have the education, if you have the means, get the hell out. And usually if you're there, you're a person of color, you're a person of lower income, a lower social standing, and you're there not because you want to be but because you have to be. So that's sort of comparing and contrasting uh, the different, I guess, Round trips or flights of suburbanization between uh, United States and Canada, and I think that um, unlike in the United States, but traditionally now the you know Chicago is is gentrifying a lot of the the places to be are you know for example the Brooklynization of of, of United States cities, so that's certainly reversed. What, what does that mean? The Brooklynization. Well, of- you know the the stereotypical sort of hipster hipster view. You've got your uh, your you know your your people wearing uh, maybe people who shouldn't be wearing uh, skinny jeans like myself mm-hmm. and uh, and <laughs> boots and pushing a thousand dollar stroller with uh, two lattes in the in the holders. Um, a professional person that has the means to to live in a, a quote unquote hip area with uh, an artisanal uh, crouton shop nearby, expect you know with their with their with their bespoke lattes and, <laughs> and things like that. So that's sort of the the image of what was once a derelict uh, um, urban wasteland is now uh, is now back in vogue, right? And and as you said, those who can afford it have access to it. And ironically, those who can are stuck in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So I think to get back to your question, because I haven't forgotten it, but I love to talk about this stuff is, is that I think suburbs have always been and will be attractive um, to a lot of people. I think the only difference is, is that it's attractive to us at different times in our life. Mm -hmm. For example, Uh, raising a family, I know it's cliche, but the suburbs is a good place to raise a family. Right, right. You have a backyard. You can get yeah. the kids in the backyard. You you have a big car that you need to park and and groceries. So, but but when the kids get older, uh, it might be easier to uh, to move back to the city or vice versa if you have the means. So I think it's it's an it's an open ended thing, and like any other thing or commodity, the suburb fills a need at a certain time of our life. Um, Don Mills is still a very um, desirable place to live in Toronto and you talk about the division of, of workplaces and and uh, shopping from housing and and car dependency and driveways and spaghetti loops and lollipop loops streets and, and all that kind of thing and single-family homes um, you know, and yes, they are sprawling. they are land intensive. they are wasteful from a land and environmental perspective, but guess what they work it's It's interesting how they we 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 loathe the suburbs because, oh, they're wasteful, oh they're boring oh they're they're you have to drive everywhere, but actually, they're the one of the very few things that planners planned that actually went. According to plan. They were actually so successful, they're hard to retrofit. Mm-hmm. They're hard to intensify. They're hard to change. Mm-hmm. They're hard to convince people that live in suburbs to expect intensification or to have a different kind of neighbor. Because that's the irony is that they were actually, they're so successful that they're very difficult to change and very difficult to retrofit, which I think is really cool, actually.
0: So they're very successful for those, for the... For those who live there, um, are they are they successful for the cities that have to manage them?
1: Well, it's very difficult to change and manage something that is really inherently designed not to change or not to be managed, not to be interacted or intervened upon, right? And I think we've often heard of the term retrofitting suburbia, or intensifying, or you know, urbanizing. Um, and I think that certainly in the Toronto context our suburbs aren't what they used to be they may look the same but they sound the same they sound differently they taste differently that's where um, our new Canadians are are settling Uh, it's not the white nuclear family anymore necessarily right Um, it's very diverse one of the most diverse parts of our of our region are actually in the suburbs I think the statistic is almost 70% of Markham's population, uh, northeast of Toronto, is foreign-born, for example. And if you want great Asian food, you don't go to uh, Broadview or Spadina anymore, you go to Highway 7 in in Markham. Mm -hmm. Where you go to Vaughan for Great Italian, you don't go to College Street anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, I think our our suburbs, though looking rather the same, certainly taste and and sound quite different. Mm So they are changing in that way, although the building structures, the the physicality of of the suburbs is very slow to change. But I think that that's that's on its way as well.
0: So how would you characterize the difference, or is there a
1: significant difference between
0: the Don Mills of the world, the inner suburbs, and some of the other, the more outer suburban suburban regions? Uh, like in the 905, is is there much difference in, yeah, in thinking I, about them? I
1: think I think there is. I I think that actually the suburbs outside of the city are actually far denser and far mixed use than than Don Mills hmm. was is, which is interesting. How so? Well, the the densities. I don't know the exact numbers, but if you look at Don Mills, the streets are much wider. Uh, there were actually ditches, um, open swales that have since been urbanized. Um, so the streets, the, the, the homes are much more set back from the street than they are in the other, uh, other parts of the suburban, the suburbanizing region by virtue of, um, of um, environmental regulations. A lot of suburbs of the Don Mills Vintage were built in the time before conservation authorities were, were imposed. Therefore, flooding ro- rules were different, tree protections were different, um, so actually there's more environmental protection and higher density to protect those assets further away from the city that you go. That's the interesting thing. Um, so our suburbs are, are quite dense relative to, to Don Mills and, and closer to the downtown. So there's this sort of hollowing out. Uh, there's this sort of lull in the density right around the ring of the city, and then it starts to increase as you, as you go out forward, uh, which is really interesting.
0: So what, are, what is the population then of the suburbs? Where is it? Um,
1: how do you break it down? Well, there's more people living in the suburbs than there are in the whole city of Toronto, right? So um, so it's it's interesting to to ask ourselves, does the city need the suburbs more than the suburbs need the city? And I think that, that the answer is probably the former. And we look at, if you look at all the goods, all the things that we sell in the coolest neighborhoods in Toronto, whether it be the Annex or the Grange or Keene. Queen West or West Queen West or or Leslieville, right um, sort of the, the Brooklyn type areas of Toronto. Most of the gui- the goods that they swill there are actually transshipped, stored, packaged, manufactured and imported from the suburbs. So you could argue that you couldn't have the urban lifestyle that we take for granted in the city of Toronto without the infrastructure, the trains, the warehouses, the transshipment facilities uh, of the of the suburbs.
0: So you're saying the suburbs are kind of a, a lifeblood of, Absolutely. of what happens in, in, in the yeah.
1: urban core. We take for granted, um, and all of the hydroelectric generation and the major transmission lines are out in the suburbs. So all sort of the nasty kind of things that don't look very knife, nice but make urban living possible are in the suburbs. And I think for that reason, the suburbs do a lot of heavy lifting that they don't get credit for.
0: So what are the fastest growing, just for listeners who don't look at the statistics all the time, what are the fastest growing uh, municipalities in the suburban region?
1: Well, in Toronto, certainly taking off, uh, and uh, what that's been taking off for the past 20 years, surpassing the region of Peel in terms of growth rates, is the region of York right on top of uh, Toronto on the north side of the of steels, which is the divide between 905 and 416. Uh, It's a very powerful, um, I think, divide, both physically and emotionally. Uh, And they've surpassed a a million people uh, quite a few years ago and continuing to grow, and they're going to add another 500,000 people. They're going to add basically the size of a city of about Calgary over the next 20 years. That's phenomenal. That's the region of York. That's the region of York, yeah. Which is a
0: very large area. It stretches all the way up to Lake Simcoe. It does, um, so, I guess, are there any any municipalities in the suburban belt that
1: have stalled or maybe on the decline? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think you could say that some municip- some areas have have stalled out a little bit. Uh, for example, Durham Region, by virtue of having a lot of uncertainty about uh, being on the doorstep of a of a future um, new. Major airport that was sort of in limbo for a while. That's the Pickering airport, right? The Pickering right. airport. Um, so that froze a lot of land that would otherwise be available for development, and also infrastructure hasn't really kept up in the in the western part. Sorry, in the eastern part of the GTA, like it has in the like it has in the west. Uh, big cities like Mississauga, Brampton. Oakville and now Milton for example. and Milton was an interesting as an interesting case. It's one of the fastest growing areas not just in the greater Toronto area but in the country um, but it was stalled it was it was sort of frozen in time as a little village of, of 10,000 people for 50 years up until the mid to late 90s when infrastructure was a lake-based infrastructure i.e waters water towers and water pipes and sewer lines and sewage treatment facilities was extended up from Lake Ontario. And growth just exploded. So much the same, I think. Durham region, with a little bit more certainty on the airport now, with the Seton Lands being released, and City of Oshawa getting some servicing, um, it's going to start. It's going to start to really uh, surprise a lot of people growth-wise. I think.
0: So you talked a you talked a bit about the suburbs. The suburbs are here, here to stay. It, it continues to be a place for uh, for many who are drawn. Um, to its uh, opportunities for raising a family, for industry and the like. But what are some of the the big issues, big problems, big challenges facing uh, the suburbs? First thing that comes to my mind is traffic. anything else
1: well we have a lot of traffic in the city of toronto too <laughs> let's not let's not kid ourselves <laughs> and and actually uh the suburbs uh, york region in particular and and peel and city of brampton and mississauga they're building rapid transit at a faster rate than we are in the city of toronto so let's we we have to come to grips with a lot of sort of misconceptions um it's probably easier to build um rapid transit in the suburbs than it is in the city and why is that? Oh, I think politics. They recognize that you have to make the tough decisions to address congestion. And it's an interesting thing. I can't take credit for this. Uh, my friend and colleague, Roger Kyle, who's sort of a, one of the world's most uh, leading uh, suburban scholars, he's at York University. And he said, you know, suburbanites will surprise you about how amenable they are to change because they moved into a construction zone. They've been living for generations in a construction zone, and they continue to be in the middle of a construction zone. They're constantly changing and growing. Uh, Roads are being built. Roads are being widened. New homes are going in. Things are getting... Pipes are being put in. Schools are being built. Portables are being added. They're in a constant state of change, probably more so than we are in a so-called dynamic, vibrant city like Toronto, right? Um, So they're actually... Despite our, our sort of conceptions or misconceptions, they're actually more amenable and used to change than probably we are, quite frankly. Um, so yes, congestion is an issue. What I will say is an issue is not to escape the question, but I think just the way that people conceive the suburb is a challenge because the suburbs, I, I believe, is the city in real time. It looks different. It's further away from the core, but we're not making downtowns anymore. Um, the markets have changed Um, land ownership patterns have changed Um, development has been corporatized whereas much of what we um, take for granted as the city was owner built and improvised over generations people would buy land or inherit land or squat on land and wait for somebody to kick them off and as they would get money they would dig a hole and lay some cinder block and then and then put some 2 by 4s up and put a roof on. And then the next couple of years when they got a raise or another job or another family or family came and moved in with them, then they'd dig another hole and extend the foundation in the back. And a lot of it was owner built. And this changed after the post-war period um, when much like car production was being automated, automated and Tupperware was being automated and everything was commoditized and people would buy frozen peas Um, so to the housing market the way we built homes changed it was more mechanized it was more of a uh, an assembly line just like the uh, just like cars were were rolled out uh, in the in the early part of the 20th century so the way that we uh, built the city and the suburbs completely different so if a if a downtown, if a new city was built today, guess what? It would be in the image of what we would consider suburb. Not because it's anything less or not an attractive place or didn't have a sense of vibrancy. is because that's how we build cities today. That's just what cities look like. And I think that there's this blockage that we have in our minds. Just because they look different, we don't accept them as, as urbanization in real time. That's what our cities look like. But
0: part of that urbanization... Um, has some, and this is getting back to my question. Has these um, real, real challenges, and what comes to my mind is is just that the time and the the agony of getting from one place to another by automobile um, is, you know, is that is that still, or is that a consideration? Is that is it a challenge? Uh, is it something that? Um, um, that, that is top of mind for, uh, municipalities or are people just used to it? It's just, it's part of, I think it's become normalized.
1: I think it's become normalized. I think they, you know, you, you hear the adage, you drive till you qualify. I think, I think a longer commute is being accepted by many people for, for better or for worse as the, as the, as the price of entry. Um, but let's let's not kid ourselves. As we're sitting here at uh, Young and Dundas Street, a lot of people spend an hour in the cars just getting across the city, right. from one downtown neighborhood to a maybe inner suburban neighborhood to another. Or a lot of people spend an hour, quite literally, on the subway every day. So how is that different? And I think sometimes, we maybe we don't mean to, but I think we hold suburbs to a little bit of a tougher standard sometimes. I really do. I, sometimes I think we're unduly, uh, unduly difficult and hard on, on the suburbs. And I think that a lot of the most progressive councils are, don't go by the name of the City of Toronto Council. Uh, a lot of progressive councils out there. The City of Mississauga is doing amazing things. Uh, look at Hamilton. Man, a lot of people are flocking from Toronto to Hamilton. Very progressive, uh, great local food scene. Uh, you can put a you can put an organic garden market anywhere virtually as of right under the zoning bylaw. You can do a lot of really cool things. They're building bike lanes at a faster rate than we are in Toronto. Um, transit growth is a lot higher in those cities, and it's flatlined in Toronto. And we're actually growing our transit at a at a world rec- uh, at a record for Toronto, a very low rate. So um I think that Toronto should just uh put it uh put its uh, mirror looking on hold for a little bit and look over its shoulder <laughs> and look at other municipalities to say, man, if we can be as progressive as a lot of these suburbs, we'll be will be much better for it.
0: Well I wanna ask a little bit about growth opportunities. Um there's there's a lot of developers who would say that there's not enough developable land in the GTHA. <laughs> Uh, to ensure a healthy supply of affordable housing over the long term and others like the neptus foundation would say that there is an abundance of
1: available land So what's your view on it's this? It's not a land problem. It's an approval timing problem I think that we have a lot of land. That's an easy that's an easy excuse um, I think we have something like a 40-year supply if we don't designate anything more. Like, it's, it's just, uh, we, land's not the issue. Bringing the land on stream, i.e. shovels in the ground, that's the issue um, by virtue of um, building infrastructure, large, uh, large uh, sewage trunks, uh, water towers, creating new water pressure districts, extending roads because uh, the environmental proce- approval process is, is lengthy. And for good reason, and I'm glad it's lengthy, but it's, 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 uh, it's something to consider. Another thing is that under the growth plan, our new um, are relatively new, I think it's over 10 years old and recently updated in 2017. But the growth rules, for infrastructure for design for density for land use in the in in the greater toronto context is set by the province are quite onerous we have to satisfy a lot of things like density and certain mixes of residential to employment there are a lot of uh, processes to ensure good public consultation and urban design and other things and that takes time whereas before we didn't have these things so i think the confluence of infrastructure funding cuz you know nobody everyone's everyone wants everything but nobody wants to pay for anything <laughs> right and and new regulations i think the sum of these things is making it very slow to to actually implement the planning for homes that we have in place so i think it's an approvals t- uh, problem not a land problem
0: and is that message resonating with developers
1: you know, it's interesting, they're the first to complain about the time it takes to get something approved as well, and also land, so what I would say with respect is pick one. Um, I think we all know what the real problem is, uh, it's 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 approvals. Um, I'm looking around, again, sorry, sorry listeners at home, but I'm looking around and I probably see a couple dozen buildings over 40 stories in height. And uh, I bet you, in every single case, um, there was at least a two to three-year process to get these buildings built, um, just uh, just in in uh, mediation or before the Ontario Municipal Board, for example, or going back and forth with council because the zoning only allowed a height of about you know between four and ten stories. So I think a lot of the lands are artificially. Um, zoned uh, for for uses that uh, you know should be a lot denser than they are, mm-hmm. and I think that adds to the time as well.
0: I want to shift a little bit to the recent election that we had. Um, was it June seventh?
1: Looking around for the nearest door, okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> And there with, was an election last. There Thursday. was, so yeah, there was. Believe was, it or not, oh, yeah. I think everyone in this province Thanks knows. Thanks for reminding me.
0: Um, And what i found interesting uh, was in looking at i guess at the results that the the toronto city core was painted essentially all orange ndp with maybe a little bit of red and the area just above it or around it is painted all blue pc uh, blue and what i i'm still struggling with and i you know you I don't know if political science is, is uh, an area of your interest, and, and you may not have all the answers to this question, but I am curious as to um, why the response has been so dramatically different between, say, the 905 and the 416, where both regions are dealing with things like traffic and congestion and transit and hospitals and schools and... Um, Families living in both regions. Um, there's multiculturalism in both areas. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts as to why the population voted so differently between I, one area I, and the
1: other? I, I do, and and uh, my friend and colleague, uh, are a great another great writer, um, Sean McAuliffe, uh who's active on Twitter and and is a, is a columnist in the Toronto Star. Um, I think said it said it perfectly. Um, Friday morning after the election, and he said that there's a difference in lifestyles and expectations between the sort of the orange voting uh, downtown dwellers and the blue voting suburbanites, whether it's an inner suburb or an outer suburb, things like financial responsibility, buzzwords like, um, you know, my rights, my property, um, responsible government, those types of things. Um, They're very real. And they're not just buzzwords or, or headlines, but they, they truly speak to differences and expectations and values between a lot of people who live in the suburbs versus downtown. I think that people in downtown, by virtue of their density, by virtue of their incomes, with avail- which generally avail them to different views, Um, tend to think more publicly or more openly or more inclusively about things Um, whereas in the suburbs there is a more inward looking view of the world and it's not certainly it's not I don't mean that to demean them or to devalue their, their view of, of us as citizens, but their, their views certainly is more towards their own backyards or to the end of their driveways is, is traditionally, it's a little bit different in the city. And I think that's borne out in, in the sensi- sensi- sensibilities and expectations attached to their urban environment. The sense that I have a car and I can drive that car. I have a home. That's my home. I have a driveway. This is my space. This is my yard. This is my fence. And people move, like I said earlier, people move to the suburbs generally for not only affordability and lifestyle and other things, but also predictability. Right? Predictability. This is mine. I know that this won't change. And I think if you extend that or project that onto politics, whether they be blue or purple or green or, or any other color, they will generally side with the party that speaks their language, who reaffirms their expectations or gives them comfort about what they expect from their environment. And their environment usually doesn't extend very much beyond the limits of their of their lot. That's a very interesting
0: perspective. I hadn't really thought of that. It doesn't. But certainly something to think about um, well after this podcast. I thought that (laughs) that would be just just a side question I had. Well, if you ever
1: want to call me back to dive into that one, (laughs) let me know. Um,
0: So just with you, we talked a little bit in the past, or in the beginning of this interview about um, retrofitting suburbia. And it was actually... I came across a hashtag called Urbanizing Suburbia and and books like Suburban Remix, Retrofitting Suburbia. And in fact, I found that the Council for Canadian Urbanism has got a a conference coming up in Montreal later this year, and they're having a session about urbanizing suburbia. Um, So without having read these books or attending the conference, um, I'd like to get your thoughts as to how the suburbs can be recalibrated for twenty first
1: well, century. Well, I'll, I'll apologize in advance because I have some pretty strong views about this. You, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like. That. Uh, when someone says, "You know, we can we can urbanize the suburbs," I just I just bristle because it 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 uh, infers that there's something wrong with the suburbs, perhaps more so than there is something wrong with the city. And I think that's just wrong and unfair. Um, we are, we're trying to remake the suburb in the image of the city. Which could not be built today, even if we tried, because markets have changed. As I said, uh, mechanized development is completely different. Land ownership patterns are different. Environmental standards, construction standards are different. You couldn't even build downtown Toronto today if you wanted to, because you wouldn't be allowed to. So I think I just want to throw throw in the in the garbage this idea of urbanizing suburbia. I, I let's use different language. Let's use like maybe how to make suburbia better, how to make suburbia more mixed use, more livable, uh, more vibrant, um, more accessible to more people, more flexible. Um, let's, let's use terms like that. And, and, and I've sparred in a friendly way uh, with Brent and and, and and others from Canadian Urbanism, uh, Can You, uh, on, this, on this issue. I think despite their best intentions, they still view the suburb as something that needs fixing, and I, and I don't hold that view. Um, the word suburb itself is inherently flawed. If you, if you look at a, an entomological um, translation of the word suburb, it means less than urban or less than the city. It's almost something of subordinate or lacking compared to the city, and I think that's just a wrong way to look at it.
0: Well, it's interesting. You were you were you were mentioning um, the are areas for improvement, mixed use, um, livability, better livability. I mean, those are elements from a, a more urban kind of context, are they not?
1: True, um, but I'm also looking at uh, the sort of the the eastern end of of Young Dundas Square, and I've said uh, in print. Few times, and in my lectures, I I say it's one of the most suburban spaces we have in the province. It's incredibly commoditized, it's privately surveilled, Um, it was deliberately um, made, much like a shopping mall, and it's certainly uh, used like a shopping mall space. Um, Whereas you could say that there are a lot of places that may not look very nice in the suburbs, but are much, much more urban than a lot of spaces in the city, including Yondan. Dundas Square because they're 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 worn they're individually owned um, they have non-chain restaurants in them oh you're talking like a strip mall for instance sure like a strip mall for example so I th- I'm really careful about labeling something as urban versus suburban and I think if we're pointing to things that need to be fixed in the suburbs there's probably just as many or more things to be fixed in the city itself.
0: It's interesting, I wasn't expecting I don't answers. mean to
1: argue We're pushed back. No, I, I, and I, I think <laughs> this is, and
0: it's actually, it's a refreshing kind of point of view because I do have actual questions about how you can infuse really strong urban values into either retrofitting or fixing up a suburban area. You know, a lot of the times you might see new official plans or secondary plans uh, or vision, long-term visioning documents for suburban areas that have those elements of, you know, s- urban aesthetics, bicycle lanes, uh, cafes, mixed-use developments, that sort of thing. And they often they often bring in uh, images to, to kind of excite um, decision-makers, images from a very strong urban context. And I, I often wonder whether that is achievable or whether it's just something to— uh, to excite the interest and 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 try to carve out a long term vision for the municipality. Yeah,
1: yes, and yes, it's certainly meant to stir the soul, or in some cases scare the hell out of people. <laughs> but it's also it's also very much achievable. But I think the thing is, is we forget about this thing called time. <laughs> I think you know the city of Toronto uh, has been um, has been inhabited and quite frankly urbanized for the better part of three centuries. Whereas um, many suburbs that we're talking about were farm fields within our lifetimes, right? So I think we need to, we need to, um, to give the suburbs a bit of a break uh, in terms of time, allow them time to catch up because cities like Toronto have certainly had that time and I think we have to be careful it's like it's like uh, comparing an adult to a to a toddler and saying well toddler why can't you pick up that bowling ball and I can perfectly pick it up no problem (laughs) well we got a bit of a head start right and I think the same is true uh, for downtown areas like Toronto and and say uh, newer downtown areas like uh, the Pickering Town Center for example in Durham Region which was quite literally a farm field within my lifetime and I'm only 44 years old so uh, give it some time um, things layer in uh, uh, urbanization does not happen overnight it's a process as much as as much as it is is a product
0: what about uh, just the element of say bicycle lanes which is getting a lot of attention these days there's recent uh, recent news of some very tragic um, deaths on uh, downtown Toronto streets and uh, a local councillor, uh, uh, Mammalini recently said the downtown approach to suburbs um, uh, is, is, is really not the way to go, and he doesn't believe that bike lanes should be on uh, on roads at all. And that's kind of a, a suburban, maybe a, a suburban perspective. Um, can you know? Can some of those elements be brought in, or is uh, there I a real? I don't know. Resistive? I think
1: it's to be honest. I think it's a Mammalini perspective. <laughs> I think it's a. It's the official view of the, the Flat Earth Society, <laughs> quite frankly. And that's saying it lightly, putting it lightly. There are a lot of bike lanes in, in the suburbs. And and something to think about is this, you'll see this in Brampton. It's a cultural thing. There are many, many happy older gentlemen on bikes driving everywhere in Brampton. And they some are on bike lanes, and but many aren't. So we have to think just because there isn't the infrastructure, say, for walking or cycling, that doesn't mean that, that suburbanites don't do those things. I think they do those things despite there being not infrastructure. So I think there's actually a latent demand for, for bike lanes, and I think Mammalidi's assertion that you can't that it's uh, you, know, suburbs by the city is just a, just a political game, quite frankly. Um, you can't build uh, bike lanes fast enough in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. They're demanding them um, because you have to think there's a whole generation of people, both young and old, that can't or cannot or won't drive, and so there's there's really this element of of you we can't build them fast enough. So again, it's a it's a it's a it's an engenderment of what we think the suburbs don't want or or can't get. Um, but I, I challenge anybody to go to Brampton and look at all the cyclists. It's just joyful seeing. And uh, there's a lot of hope there. And then, so I think I'd love Toronto councillors to actually get out of the city and look around and talk to their counterparts uh, in the suburban councils to learn something from them.
0: Hmm. I want to move now to the, the topic of new urbanism uh, which was, I think, seen as an answer to some of the suburban ills that uh, may have been uh, thought of at the time. This is back in the mid '90s, where you had your prominent group of architects in the U.S., with led by Peter Calthorpe and Andres Duany, mm-hmm. and this was just all about, you know, looking to neighborhoods of the past uh, as sort of the the ideal. Um, you know, with central plazas, walkable streets grid street pattern, rear lane parking, um, smaller scale homes, front porches, all in an effort to bring back the key ingredients that made traditional neighborhoods of yesteryear so successful. Um, And then closer to home, there's Cornell Community in Markham, which Andres Duaney uh, introduced. So is that is that model still being done today, or has it been replaced with some other development?
1: So a form? little less so. I think it was sort of fatty. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, um, fatty F A D D Y. It was it was a fad. Um, I think really what it was is it was a reskinning or a repackaging of t- your traditional conventional suburbs, quite frankly. They looked different. The density was certainly uh, tighter. There were rear laneways. There were coach homes, coach houses. Uh, There was a mixed-use Main Street, but really it was Disneyland. Uh, People still drove everywhere. Uh, People still wanted to uh, drive to Costco and still do. Um, in fact, in Cornell, the latest phase of development has a prototypical uh, food store in it, surrounded by parking, because that's what the community wanted. So I think that design only takes us so far, and it goes back to what I said earlier about lifestyles. Despite the urban form, people want a certain lifestyle, and they will live that lifestyle despite what the form um, looks like or acts like whether it's cycling on an eight-lane highway uh, in Brampton with no bike lane or, or um, living downtown Toronto and having an SUV in a car park and driving to the suburban Home Depot which many people do or living in Cornell and uh, driving your Prius uh, everywhere. So I, I don't think that there's a necessarily a path dependency between urban form and urban lifestyles or urban expectations interesting
0: so where do you see the suburbs say 5 10 20 years from now is it and I and mean, lifestyle is it going to be the same or do you see a shift oh,
1: i i think that they're going to gain notoriety because for a number of reasons uh, i look at the strip malls and the shopping malls of today and i see the, the i see Amazing, great communities that people will be lining up to buy into in five to ten years. Um, I really, really do. Um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of talent in the suburbs. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of history there, but it's but it's thinned out, right? It's spread thin like a little. There's not enough margarine on the toast. Um, it needs a critical mass, and it's getting there. Um, there's a lot of um, really neat, sort of "quote-unquote" authentic things in the suburb. Great food, um, really great active communities that actually aren't against everything. <laughs> um, a lot of cultural associations, um, a lot of neighborhood organizations and festivals, and little local pockets of culture. But uh, by virtue of the spread of the suburbs, it you know it hasn't really congealed. Doesn't
0: have a critical mass. But we're getting yeah, yeah.
1: critical. We're getting there. I'm really excited about the suburbs in five to ten years, especially when they're building bike lanes, um, they're attracting uh, new Canadians, whereas they're not destined to downtown Toronto anymore. They're destined to Oakville, they're destined to Brampton, to Newmarket, and they're bringing their culture, their vibrancy, and their recipe book with them, and I'm, I'm really excited about that.
0: Well, this has been really interesting. I, it's it's really good to have a fresh perspective uh, on the suburbs because you know, um, you know, you read a lot about urbanizing suburbs or. The, the ills with the suburbs, mm-hmm. the problems with the suburbs, and it's it's great to hear a different take on it. And and uh, thanks again for thank you, Jeremy, for your, having me. Yeah, this thoughts. is a lot of fun. Great.